people were complimenting one another, just being kind to one another all day long. And then at the end of the day, the teacher said, class, how do you feel about doing that? And the class was just perfect. They were just trying to be angels. Welcome back to the Speaking and Communicating Podcast. I am your host, Robert Andlela. If you are looking to improve your communication skills, both professionally and personally, this is the podcast you should be tuning into. Communication and soft skills are crucial in your career growth and leadership development. Whether you're about to speak in public, make presentations at work, pitch to investors or an entrepreneur looking to showcase your innovation to a wider audience, you'd be glad you joined us. By the end of this episode, log on to Apple and Spotify, leave us a rating and a review and what you'd like for us to discuss on this podcast. Let's get communicating. In this episode, we will be talking to Paul Zolman, hailing all the way from Utah, who is the founder of Role of Love. If you have heard of the five love languages, in fact, if you haven't heard of them, you might be living under a rock because everybody nowadays talks about the five love languages. Every relationship discusses the five love languages. However, Paul is here to talk to us about his way of helping us practice the five love languages. He founded the role of love, an easy way to purposefully love every day And before I go any further, please help me welcome him to the show. Hi, Paul. Hi, Roberta. Thank you for welcoming me to the show. Nice introduction. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. You helped me put it together. So thank you. Welcome. And before we get into it, please introduce yourself. So I want to just kind of give you a a 30,000 foot overview of just my life in a nutshell and introduce myself in that way. But I want to start way back at my grandfather. I had a grandfather that uh, was back in the late 1800s, had lived in Indiana, and he had nine children. After that ninth child was born, his wife passed away, and he was so distraught that he decided to sell the farm and relocate, sell all the equipment, everything. When they had the auction, he would say, and people would buy things, he'd say, would you like this child? And would you like this child? And would you like this child? Until all the children were given away, except for one. So he took Benjamin with him, moved to Montana, married my grandmother, and had 10 more children, of which my father was number six. So my father, when he was 10 years old, his father, that grandfather, passed away. So here you have 19 children that have abandonment issues. Regardless how it came to be, they've got abandonment issues. My father was born in 1922. So when he was 10 years old, it was 1932. The heat of the Great Depression. And Mm. so there's not only the abandonment issues, you've got economic issues, you've got financial problems, you've got all these problems. And those type of problems just kind of put a, a sad face on you or could create an angry disposition. My father couldn't continue to go to school. He graduated from eighth grade. So he became a truck driver. And so I was born there in Glendive, Montana. And he had 
decided he was going to move. So we moved to central Montana, Great Falls, Montana, and that's where I grew up. But growing up in a family like that was still still pretty rough. I remember uh, one time that, um, you know, my father probably wanted to be better than what he remembered his father being. But I remember just him being rough with me at, at times. And I'm a sandwich in between two girls. And so if I did anything to offend those two girls, I was in big trouble. He treated women very, very nicely. He treated my mother like she was a queen. Took her out on a date every Friday night. Every Friday night. Did not ever miss. And I really appreciate, I love that example of my father. But the venue was the Maverick Bar. It was over alcohol. And my mother would disgorge how her week went, and he'd say how his week went. And if it was favorable for the children, it would be a happy weekend. But if it wasn't, we'd get the belt or we'd get spankings or we'd get something for what we'd done way earlier in the week. There was no connection of what we did to the punishment. So one time, I remember being black and blue for more than three weeks. I absolutely don't remember anything what I did to deserve to be black and blue for three weeks. It was just a hard situation. Abuse like that happened regularly. You could almost count on it. I learned to dread the weekends. You know how everybody looks forward to the weekend? We and all they, do. Actually, we started on Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On Friday, you're starting to celebrate because the weekend's coming. It wasn't like that in my family just because we didn't know how what how the severity of the punishment for what we had done during the week, how that was going to play out. So at age 17, I move out, just finished my junior year of high school. I move in with my brother who lives down in, in um, Salt Lake City, Utah, actually. And he got transferred with his job shortly thereafter to California. So I spent my senior year on the road, six months in Utah and and then the last part in California. California schools were pretty far behind what Montana schools were. Utah was a little bit behind Montana, but California's way behind. And so all I did was just test out, took my GED, and then I worked for a while and then went to Japan for a couple of years. After all this, I still had what I would call residual anger from that upbringing. And Roberta, the easiest way to explain that is that I would look at someone and it might annoy me. Something that they were done or something they were doing might annoy me. I would have that annoyance and then I'd find another annoyance and then another annoyance, another annoyance. I'd be stacking these annoyances until I flashed. Mm. Then I became angry and then I'd be back down to square one. Then get annoyed, 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 and then flash. And so that was kind of the pattern that I had. And I didn't notice that pattern for a very long time. Um, in fact, at age 35, I still was blaming my father for all failed relationships, everything that uh, socially or emotionally or anything like that, that went wrong in my life. And I realized that as long as I got somebody to blame, I don't have to change. And then I realized, oh, my father's been dead for seven years at age 35, and I'm still blaming him. It was a wake up call. So I thought, I got to take responsibility for my life. So a while after that, I thought I was doing a lot better, a lot better, a lot better. Then one day, as a family, we're reading scriptures. And my three-year-old's in in my wife's lap, and his hands are flailing like this. And all of a sudden, he 
flips off and knocks her glasses so they go flying onto the floor. Yeah. I just got I got upset. I slapped him. I felt so bad about just slapping that three-year-old that on my way to work, I called and reported myself to Department of Family Services. Well, nobody was there. It was early in the morning. Nobody was there on my way to work. So I left a message. From that message, I didn't hear anything, but I heard from my wife. She said, Department of Human Services came by. You can't come home. You can't see the children. You can't this and that. And so I was basically, I was at work. I was barred from my home and I couldn't do do anything about it. They charged me with child abuse. They sentenced me. I pled guilty because I hit the child. I I slapped him because of the behavior and then removed him from the room. They charged me with the child abuse. They sentenced me 18 months probation and then also anger management. Go to these anger management classes. I still have to travel 40 miles one way to the anger management class. I lived in a small town and then I have to pay for the class a full year. In this anger management class are guys that did not volunteer what they did, like I did, they got yeah. caught. Mm. Yeah, they absolutely got caught. So one guy, I remember, he had held his wife or his girlfriend up with her neck, her feet off the ground against the wall until she passed out. And then another guy just beat his wife severely and that she had a lot of problems with the beating and a lot of injuries from that. Those were the guys I was in this class with. But I tried to put on my blinders all about that. I was in that class because they said this would be the help that they were giving me. So I focused quite a bit on this. And they bring out this wheel of abuse. There's 13 or 14 different types of abuse. And within those each category, they had examples of what that type of abuse, abuse would be. I realized at that time that I'd been trained in as a child trained in several of those examples, maybe five or six different types of abuse that I've been trained in as a child. I thought, I did not know that was abuse. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so once I realized it was abuse, then I had an opportunity to think, well, what would be the opposite of that? Just for example, and I'm not saying this, this wasn't on the abuse chart, but just for an example, take sarcasm. Sarcasm, you know, is it on the naughty side of the stick or is it on the nice side of the stick? Where does it fall on the spectrum? I would categorize kind of on the naughty side. It's funny sometimes. Yeah. Sarcasm can be funny, but sometimes it's on the it can side. be mean. Sometimes yeah. it can be demeaning. And yeah. so definitely not on the nice side. Listen, some people like it, so we're not judging it as such, but and there's a spectrum to it as well. But it, it, it falls on this side of the spectrum, for sure. That, yeah. That's exactly what I was go- going to. Is that It taught me the spectrum. If I could figure out what the opposite was, then I'd understand the bad side of the spectrum and the good side of the spectrum, and then be able to move and find out where did I fall on that spectrum. That's what was valuable about the anger management for me. I realized that, oh, I'm on this little naughty side of the spectrum in these areas, What's the opposite and where do I need to go? This actually ruined my marriage, my first marriage. The whole thing, the anger and the just flashes and and that sort of thing was ruining my marriage. And so after 23 and a half years, my my wife and I divorced. We had eight children ourselves. Just didn't didn't work out. I was single and I was having this midlife crisis. 
I had the children. So when it was her weekend to have the children, I would go on what I call destination dates. I was living in Charleston, South Carolina at the time. And, and so I'd go to Daytona Beach or go to Jacksonville or I'd go to Atlanta, Charlotte, North Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, New York City, Nashville, Kansas City, Phoenix, Snowflake, Arizona, Salt Lake City, Las Vegas, and Cabo San Lucas. I went to all those places and had a date. Just and I called it destination dating. So when you go on a date, you have a great time. And it was just a lot of traveling. It was fun. I spent more than $10,000 doing that. But it just did not find love. It wasn't exactly what I was looking for. So you can go look for love in all the wrong places. Like I'm South- about to ask, is there a particular reason you targeted doing this destination dating? Because a lot of the time, especially with dating apps, you know, it's your local area. It sounds like you went literally throughout the U.S. map. Is there a particular reason you chose that strategy for your dating options? It was a qualification type of thing that I was doing. And so I had my own criteria of how I choose somebody. And I thought it was a great program that I had. You know, I thought it was king of the hill because I developed this way that I would screen out people. And really, all the dates were really good dates. But the, the development of a relationship wasn't present. I mean, the dates were great. It was safe. Everything was perfect because of the criteria that I set up, the filter that I'd set up for this whole dating experience, but just it was not developing relationships. So after all this, I ended up in Phoenix. I thought that the one that person I was dating in Phoenix would be more interested. As soon as I moved there, it was over. It was just, it it wasn't working out. So stayed in Phoenix for about a year and a half and and my sister, we had family reunion or something. She thought I was lonely. And so she decided, I'm going to introduce you to my neighbor who kind of has a, a nice disposition. So that we did the introduction. We started corresponding. I was just really not interested. I'd done the destination dating. I was in Phoenix. She was in St. George, Utah area. And seven hour difference. Did not want to do destination dating again. Right. Just, it did not work out. So I said, no, I don't think so. She, but she's a big sister. And she said, oh, come on. And you got to do what big sister says. So that's what I did. So after about four or five months, we we developed a really good relationship. Really good. In fact, that we were thinking about marriage. And I thought, I want to introduce her to big brother. So we went north to, to visit with big brother. First thing that happened when I took her in is my sister-in-law pulled her aside and said, the only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up is anger. At first, I denied it. Then it made me mad. Why and would thought, she say that? I mean, I understand she had been in the family for a while, but why would that be the first thing she says to someone new trying to come into the yeah. family? Exactly. And that's what that's what made me mad. And uh, maybe I had been justified in being mad, but the whole idea that she said that we learned anger and then I became mad I connected those two right at that moment, like I'd never connected it ever before. I thought, huh, she nailed it. I'm still kind of angry from, I've got residual anger from that childhood. And I thought, you know, if that's true, and it was, I've got a perfect opportunity to change the whole feeling of the Zolman family, the whole way people think about the Zolman family, and to parlay something that would be more appropriate, more of a loving type thing. 
So I started reading the color codes, started learning about how people find out what their personality is so they can love a little bit more appropriately. That didn't connect so much with me. So I started reading the five love languages. I read the book four or five times. I'm telling you, Roberta, I did not get it. I did not. Seriously, but everybody talks about it. Everybody talks about it. Just as you in every discussion, friendship, relationship, family. Mom, my long language is give just my gift. (laughs) Well, just as you said in in the introduction, that if if you don't know the five love languages, you've been hiding under a rock. Where you been? Literally. (laughs) And it's just that type of thing. But I I didn't know them before that time. Even after reading the books four or five times, I I could not spit out what the five love language, what they were. It did not. Okay, let me ask you this, Paul, because it's just a list of five, and obviously there's more to it with each of the five. Are you saying you just didn't say, oh, I love words of affirmation if you meet someone? Or is it the deeper meaning of what they mean in practical day-to-day terms if you're with someone and you help them understand that you love words of affirmation? Roberta, let me, let me answer your question and explain it this way. Yeah. If you were just suddenly placed in China and you were trying to speak Chinese, you're not going to understand anything, no matter if they are succinct, uh, they say the words precisely as the word's supposed to be oh, said. Slowly. Slowly, even if it's slow and you're still in China. I, I grew up in an angry home, remember? I know the angry language. So the angry language has its own vocabulary. It has its own humor. It's a culture all by itself. Are you saying the reason you read it four or five times and it didn't make sense is because your family background, you did not recognize what Dr. Gary Chapman was talking about. Exactly. Ah, because I'm just thinking of the five. Listen, a lot of us will read it once and we, we recite the five like a poem and you just tell the person which one is your number one. So you are literally saying it did not stick because of where you came from. I get That's it. Right. I couldn't recognize that as love. You know, mm. just, I just didn't, and I didn't see it. I didn't get it. And it was just very difficult for me. I'm a bad guesser, Roberta. That love language is, well, I'm supposed to guess what that person's love language is and then cater to that. No, you just ask them. This is how face dates sometimes, I don't know, but it sounds like that's how they usually go. You're like, so, you know, you talk about all the other stuff and then you go, what's your number one love language? And then you tell the person, oh, I like acts of service. So if this relationship lasts, you know, I would want you to take that. If you take out the trash, it's an act of service. If you are. If, yeah. if, if, if you, exactly. And then you ask them, so now you know, but here's the thing. Then the other love languages that were not mentioned. So I mentioned my top one. He mentions his top one. It sounds to me like some things are intertwined. The other three are not mentioned. Does that mean I now how understand how this person loves and how I'm supposed to love him? So, Roberta, I didn't understand the direction. Was it about me or was it about them? And if it's about me... Why would it be about me? Do I only see love coming my way? That didn't make any sense to me at all. And then if it's only about them, well, how do I get love? I mean, it's just so in reality, I saw it as, well, there must be 10 love languages, really, because it's it's what you send out. If you send out five love languages, 
Mm -hmm. then you should be able to receive five love languages. So there'd be, it's directional. And the directions just mixed me up. I, I realized I don't have any control of what people send my way. Absolutely zero control. That is true, yes. I, I can't bid love to come my way. And so when I did the destination dating, you're looking for love, but you're looking for it to come your way. It didn't make any sense. Hence, you tell the other person, oh, my name is Paul Zolman, and my top love language is acts of service, or let's say it's gifts. So the oh. next time I fly to Kentucky, <laughs> you must have a gift for me. That's right. So hello, Roberta. My name is Paul Zolman. I, I like touch. When can we make an appointment? Oh, I mean, if you fly across the country, <laughs> it's going to be... Because... It's just awkward. If you take the survey, hello, I'm gifts. Roberta, what do you have for me today? I mean, it's not about me. And I realized that. So, right. so I thought, you know what? I'm going to get a hold of Dr. Chapman and tell him my frustration a little bit. And just, and I did. And I asked him, are you licensing those icons? Because I had a different idea. Mm -hmm. He said no. Sent a letter back. And, and so I contacted my own attorney here in town. He's an intellectual property attorney that does copyrights, trademarks, that sort of thing. And he said that theory is not copyrightable. Application is. So I decided I'm going to make my own icons and then I'm going to make it a game. So what I did is I put the icons, I made it, put the icons on a die. Mm -hmm. Here you see service. Is that service? Those are the words. Words of affirmation. Uh-huh. That's time. That's an hourglass. Mm. Gifts. <laughs> And yes, physical touch. And then touch. touching, yes. So five love language, six sides on the dice. This one surprised me. So there's just two instructions. You roll the dice every day. That's the love language you give away all day that day. So I found... Give away meaning if you meet someone, you try to practice that? You're watching for the opportunity. It's not like you're forcing yourself on them. <laughs> no, okay. So you're watching for opportunities to love. And so what I found, Roberta, after rolling this for 30 days, it changed my mindset that I was focused on what's right about that person. What can I love about that person? No longer did I have that annoyance stacked on annoyance, stacked on annoyance, and then the flash. I didn't have that anymore. I didn't even have that disposition to do that because I was focused on what's right about people. When you focus what's wrong about people, then you become annoyed. Then you be become more critical. Then you become more judgmental. Wasn't even going there. I was focusing on what can I love about that person? And it changed my whole mindset. That whole focus now is how can I light that person up? What is there that is wonderful about that person that maybe they don't even know that mm -hmm. I recognize that I can see it and light them up, make their day. It's like that, go ahead and make my day. Go ahead, make my day. <laughs> Clint Eastwood, maybe. Go ahead and make my day. But it's actually doing it in a positive way. That when you are helping people, uplifting them, or making their day for them, just having a, a positive moment in their day, they feel great. You feel great. They're going to pass that around. They're going to pass that on. In the contrast... If you send anger out and make their day a bad day, they're going to also pass that bad day on. It's like the lunch line when you're a kid. They punch you in the shoulder and say, pass it on, pass it on. 
you're stopping that, but only you're passing on good. You're passing on love. That's a direction that you have control over. You don't have it control over it coming your way. When it does come your way, though, after you've practiced giving away these five love languages, okay. when it does come your way, you can recognize it. Most people can only recognize their primary love language because that's what they like. But they can say, oh, that's not my primary love language, but I see they're loving on me and they can respond. It sounds amazing and life-changing, Paul, but I'm about to ask you because we did mention earlier that you also want to know what comes back to you. So when you roll this dice, you're looking for opportunities to practice it, to give it. You no longer ask the question on what are they giving me back? No, you're giving it without any regard for that, Roberta. And that's true love. You're giving it without any expectation. And you've got to do it that way. Because if you give it with expectation, as Dr. Chapman would say, if I'm physical touch and I give you physical touch, I'm expecting physical touch back. That's a transaction. But it's not my physical touch is not my top one. It becomes a transaction is all I'm trying to say. Transactions are not love. It's, Can you say that again? Transactions are not love. They really are not love. It's a transaction. And it's almost like a business. And it's like it's almost objectifying. It's just not love. So you send the love out without any regard of any expectation of it coming back. But by doing that gives you the eyes. You have the eyes. You have the vision. You have the peripheral vision to see all flavors of love coming back to you, even if it's not your primary love. You can see it and you can respond appropriately. So be open to other forms of love other than, oh no, my number one is acts of service. So anything else, it's almost like I'm deaf to it. I or feel blind. Like, or blind to it because I feel like with everybody just mentioning their top love language, it's almost like we are now training ourselves to be blind to everything else. Myoptic, right. Absolutely. Hmm. It's different. And, and that was not the purpose of the book, at least from my understanding. It sounded to me like Dr. Chapman was helping us understand each other and communicate to each other that, especially when you're in a relationship, in a marriage. Before the book, we used to call it, hey, Paul, this is important to me. When you do this, it lights me up. When you do that, it hurts my feelings. And then you work through that. So we didn't have these five labels for right, each thing right. that you do exactly with your partner. So I don't know whether the positive impact it was supposed to have, we're now having the opposite effect because we're now focusing on, I told you, I'm out of service. Why aren't you? You know what I mean? It's that whine, whiny voice you're trying to avoid, Roberta. <laughs> and that's totally unintended. <laughs> well, I told you why, how to love me. Why aren't you doing it? And it's just, you got to get rid of the whiny voice. It comes unabated. When you're sending it out, it'll come back. It's almost like putting it into a piggy bank is how I like to describe it. Because you know that you've got that. It's an investment you're making. It's going to come back. It's a boomerang, but it just takes a little longer to come back. We're talking about the spectrum. Contrast that with anger. You send anger out guess what? you got an immediate return on your investment. They're going to be angry right back, most people. Some people are calmer and they'll they'll say, well, that's funny that you say that. You know, I'm not going to get angry about that. And they'll, they'll oh, be happy. As we say, I'm not going to participate. 
<laughs> or exactly and, and they're not participating and yeah. then you've got a communication problem and they still got the problem and so it's just better not to send anger out because it's coming right back to you or it'll come back in a different form you want love to come back so you got to send it out and no longer is it about you or me about what we want it's about them that's about lighting them and just starting that fire i like to call people that follow this pattern love starters because mm. If you had a group of dice like this and you put them on a table at a wedding, instead of chocolates, put them on a table at the wedding. At a loving event, you're exporting love. They're taking that dice home. They're going to roll the dice and then they're going to spread that to their circles of influence from that loving event. They eat the chocolate. The next day they're gained a pound. They're going to say, where in the heck did I get that extra pound? Oh, got I want to run it off. Oh, oh, oh and all of a sudden the wedding thing's yeah, they're looking down on weddings because they had the food. <laughs> Export the love. It's a it's a better choice. Mm. And then I remember in one of your videos, you had a teacher who uses this in their classroom. I mean, right. we, we don't have to discuss how much some of the teachers are having trouble with children's behavior. But can you share that story with us, please? Absolutely. So this teacher thought that she'd start rolling the die at the beginning of the class day. And she said, class, this is what we're rolling. And it was, I believe it was words. People were complimenting one another, just being kind to one another all day long. And then at the end of the day, the teacher said, class, how do you feel about doing that type of thing? And the class was just perfect. They were just trying to be angels as they, as they are in the younger grades. I believe she was teaching third grade. They're angels, and they just wanted to do whatever would help that person light up, whatever would would uplift that person with words. And they were just being kind all day long. Just think of this, though. If they took the two seconds at the beginning of the day, even if it took a full minute to explain what they're doing that day for behavior, they take that minute at the beginning of the day, that investment of time is going to bring huge returns. Everybody likes to make an investment where they put a tiny bit in, they get a huge amount back. This is one of those things. They put a little bit in, they get a lot back. And, and it works just for the relationship portion. Mm. Couple that with the reporting part of it. So I put together a journal. It's called the Roll of Love Journal. Inside the journal is a page where you can record what you rolled, what opportunities you saw to love in that way, and then what you did about those opportunities. So at the end of the day, at the school, in the classroom, and I imagine this will work best in K through six, just because they, you know, they're together all day long. So there's a reporting. They're with them at the beginning of the day. They're with them at the end of the day. Mm. So the child is thinking how they're going to love all day long. They've got this on the mind. And the, the way you keep it on the mind is make it a memory hook. A picture is a memory hook. If I yeah. say it to you, Roberta, that word elephant, you're not seeing it in your mind, E-L-E-P-H-A-N-T. Not the spelling, I'm immediately the picture. Yeah, You're seeing the picture. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's no words on this at all. It's supposed to be a memory hook, something that you'll remember all day long. The child then becomes responsible for themselves, for their own behavior. They have to report it at the end of the day. They're going to behave a lot better. I believe that this will tamp down a lot of the misbehavior that goes on in, in, in the classrooms across the nation. 
but we got to start with them early. And if you train them early, then it's just gonna it's gonna be better. Hopefully, they'll hold on to that good thing that they learned at school, that good behavior.、Mm. I think that's a classic demonstration of the power of love. Like you said, small investment but big returns. But if you love just a little bit, and here's the other thing about love: if you show an act of love, even if it's small, have you noticed how someone will remind you, Paul, twenty years later, that you did something kind for them, and you have forgotten? Yeah, that's right. Oh, I've had that happen a lot. Ooh, I, ooh. And it's it's so easy to forget. And oh, you thought that was kind? I didn't even think about it. That it was just something I did. I had a、uh, someone at we were in high school together. She found me on Facebook. She detailed the incident word for word. I said, "How do you even, after all these decades, remember that?" <laughs> Because a little act of love, a little act of kindness, that it's got huge returns. Absolutely, and that's、yeah. the power of it. And the other thing I find is that in this generation of technology and social media and all that the kids are exposed to, I mean, YouTube is on all the time. This is not something they hear about more often, no. No, no, they don't hear about it very often. In fact, the media kind of dominates showing the negative part of life, and it's unfortunate because I think there's a whole lot of positive things going on. Roberta, I like to compare it to a, a magnifying glass. What a magnifying、okay. glass does is just make things bigger. Whatever you want to magnify, that's what you want to be bigger. So why would I look at Roberta's faults? Why would I want that to be bigger in my life? Why would I even enlarge that? Because guess what? That's another boomerang. If I'm critical of you, that's going to come back to me. But on the contrast, if I'm loving of you, focus on those things that are good about Roberta or whoever. Focus on those good things. That's going to enlarge. That person's going to say, "Oh, I didn't even recognize that myself." That I was like that. That's one of those acts of kindness you're talking about. They'll remember that act of kindness of just recognizing something that's good about them. They'll remember it 20 years, 30 years from now. They'll repeat that. You want that legacy of love. That's how you want to be rem- remembered. Instead of me being remembered being from an angry family, this is the way to change the tide.、Hmm. Send the love out. Changing the Zolman legacy for sure. Absolutely. And then you call those who practice the role of love and the dice. You call them love starters. Why do you think we wait for the other person to be the love starter, and we just sit and we say, "You gotta love me first, then I love you back." You're gonna be very lonely. <laughs> you're, you're gonna. None of us want, but that's what we do, sort of. It is, it's absolutely we, what we no, do. No, no, you go first. No, ah,、uh-uh, you go first. Then I love you back once you show me that you love me first. We we do this thing all the time. Absolutely. So there's nothing embarrassing about sending out love first. In fact, it's a whole lot better thing to do it to send it out first, and send it out all the time. Make that be the person that you are. That's what defines you. He reached out first. He did it, or she did it. They did it first. Have that define you rather than anything else. Don't be waiting for it. Hmm. Then it sounds transactional, as you mentioned earlier. That oh no, I'm waiting for them to do it first because then I'll invest when they've showed that they've invested. And you keep playing this zigzag game, and that's why there's so much of a breakdown in relationships. Absolutely.、Um, what have you found with people that you've 
spread this to? So we've talked about the classroom. What about grown-ups? What changes have they realized in their lives doing this? So just like me, I, I created this when I was single. And it's interesting that it happened while I was single because all of Dr. Chapman's book is about your significant other. I realized that if people only practice love to their significant other, it's a part-time job. You're not around your significant other all day long. Right. So, so I go to work and I come back at work. I forgot about loving. And then I come back. Oh, I'm still in work mode. I'm not going to, I'm not loving yet. And then, oh, oh yeah, I'm loving now. You forget what job you're at. Avoid that, all that confusion. Do it consistently. And this is something that consistently will bring joy to you. You're rewarded now. You'll see them light up. You're rewarded when you make someone's day, you're rewarded right then. And you'll be rewarded down the road and over and over and over. They'll recall that thing that happened 20 years ago, mm-hmm. that kind kindness you sent out 20 years ago. You're stacking it up and, and you're just doing that without any expectation. But those are bonuses that are coming back and it will continue like that. Just focus on sending it out and it'll come to you. Got to trust the process. Absolutely trust it. What if someone is listening and they think, let's take words of affirmation, for instance, and they think, but Paul, disappointments happen. And, you know, especially when you try to be kind and the person rejects the kind act, you are afraid to try it again. So if I give this person a compliment, they won't accept it or they'll say, no, that's not me. You know how some people are not very receptive to compliment because they don't believe that about themselves. So if anyone is listening and wondering, if I'm supposed to practice this, should I be careful or think, what if they reject my compliment, my act of service? If they do, then find someone else that will accept it. It's just, and there's just so many people out there, so many people that are ready for love, so many people that are starving for love, that find someone that will accept it. And then that person will come around. They'll come around and and maybe on a day that if words doesn't turn them on, if words doesn't light them up, then maybe it's gifts or maybe it's service. Something else will light them up. That's the only advice I'd give Roberta is that maybe you're giving compliments to that person and they're rejecting it. Find something else. Go on a different day when it's not words of affirmation that you're practicing. Go on a different day. Do an act of service. Give them a gift or just spend time with them. Maybe they just like to hang out, do something different, find what lights them up. You, I'm, and I guarantee that you will find that you'll find, and you'll find what really helps them feel loved. Then you'll have that connection, but work with it because what most people send out after reading the five love languages is their own love language that they want back. It's reciprocity that, that they're looking for. You're going to miss more times than you're going to hit. You really are. With this, you're doing all five love languages. You're going to hit. Someday, at least, you're going to hit on what they like. Just keep trying. Mm-hmm. Don't think of it transactionally, as you said earlier. So the cliffhanger, Paul, you left us with, after your fiancé was told that the only language your family speaks is anger, did you stay and are you guys still together? It worked for a little while. We did get married. Then it fell apart for whatever reason. So it was about it only lasted about four years. And it could have been me. 
most of what the back research that I was doing for the love languages and that research happened within that four-year period. So I myself was in transition. And it really wasn't a great time for me to have a relationship, knowing that I really was in still within that angry culture and I was trying to trying to get out. It was a difficult circumstance that way. I was in development of the new tool to help change mindset. Everything was in development at the time, and I was evolving myself. That and the still those flashes that were hap- they were still happening, that just ruined the first relationship, ruined that second relationship too. But subsequently, I did get married. I am happily married. Thanks for Congratulations. Asking. Awesome. And one last question. Do you feel that the anger management classes you went to helped in dealing with the anger issues you had growing up? I felt that the anger management classes helped me identify anger that I didn't know was anger. And so by that identification, it helped me take responsibility. Because of ignorance, I could blame anyone else that it was their fault. But until I realized that, oh, I do that, oh, that's something that I I need to start doing something different. It was beneficial in that way that it helped me recognize, again, what I should not do. I was trained in things that I should not do from my childhood. So now now I'm doing things that I should have done a long time ago. I feel like I have to catch up now, Roberta. I have to send more love out, a whole lot more love out, double it. Just a double and triple scoop of love, send it out now, but just because I feel like I, I've missed all those years of, of loving. Now I've got to catch up. But you always got to start somewhere, which you've already done. So thank you for that, Paul. Thank you for spreading the love and helping us spread the love. So where can we get these tools, the dice and the journal for the role of love so we can practice it? So I've got a set. You can buy the journal and the book and the die on my website, or you can buy it individually, but they're all on the website called rolloflove.com, R-O-L-E of love. It's a play on words. R-O-L-L is outside of you. Nothing happens if it's really outside of you. R-O-L-E changes you within. If part of your audience, since they're listening to this on a podcast, if they like listening to books, the only way to get it on a book, the audible version of it is on Amazon. So when you go to Amazon, don't type in roll of love or love this, love that, because you're going to get a million ways to love. It's going to be a needle in the haystack. Type in my name. It'll come right up. Okay. Rolloflove.com for the book, the die, and the journal. And if you want audible, type Paul Zolman on Amazon for the book to come up as a top listing. Perfect. Excellent stuff. Paul, this has been very eye-opening and a big paradigm shift, especially for those of us who say all of us have read the five love languages because you think, okay, it's going to better my relationship, but you've added a whole new spectrum to it. So thank you so much. And thank you for the product that you've created to help us spread the love. Thank you, Roberta. It's been a delight to be a guest. My pleasure. Thank you, Paul. Paul, would you say that, you know, when we grow, we evolve, we change, we like different things than we did 10 years ago. Does that mean that even our love languages change? So we can't be stuck on one, top one? Well, as I mentioned, Roberto, I grew up with in that angry atmosphere. But any type of love or what I might have thought would be love would be 
if I wasn't being whacked, I wasn't being loved. And so physical touch actually became the primary love language for me. Of course, that showed up when I took the test. But now, after I know how to give it away and know what the, all the love languages look like, words are better for me. Just the, it's the words that really helped me really light me up. Mm. So yeah, absolutely. To answer your question, absolutely. They can change over time. Which means then it's good to, like you said, to learn to perceive others by giving it, by being a love starter. Exactly. So you can look at it from an ancestral view. It's not something genetic that's passed on, but even the mindset, whatever the mindset is of our grandparents passed down to our parents, passed down to us, whatever that mindset was, for the most part, it's going to be passed on until you stop the tradition, whether the tradition is bad or the tradition is good until someone stops that tradition or refines that tradition. And that's where I'm at right now with what I've done of just kind of stopping the tradition of the abuse, stop the tradition of the anger, stop those type of traditions. Mm, break the generational pattern, as they say. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you, Paul. So you've given me three compliments or words of affirmation today, and I kept doing this each time. So when, when you do that, Roberta, it's like the yoga class. Every time you go to a yoga class, they do this and they say namaste. Namaste literally means the God in me sees the God in you. Or the divine in me sees the divine in you. That's what this whole thing's about. Watching for those good parts of other people. And be a love starter because you see the divine in them. Absolutely. Paul Zolman, everybody. Words of wisdom. Thank you for joining the Speaking and Communicating podcast once again. If you have a guest that you think would be a great fit for the show, please email me and my contact details are on the show notes. The Speaking and Communicating podcast is part of the B Podcast Network, where there are many other podcasts that support you in being a better leader and becoming the change you want to see. To learn more about the B Podcast Network, go to bpodcastnetwork.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify, and stay tuned for more episodes to come.